Anyways, turn to Psalm chapter 145. In our central focus of study tonight is going to be on the theme of extol. You guys are wearing these lovely hoodies that if you ever go to the state fair, your parents will always be able to find you. They will never lose you. But if you guys look on the back of that hoodie, it gives you the definition of extol and it also shows you where we got this theme from, which is obviously in Psalm 145 in verse 1. And tonight we're going to go through the, the uh, 21 verses that we see here in chapter 145. And one of the things that we see in this chapter, shh, it's easier if I just talk. One of the things that we see in this chapter is... Well, you may not see, it's not obvious to you, but I'll, I'll share it with you, is that this is one of the, this is David's last writing to us, and most of us have grown up in church, so I don't have time to go on the, you know, sharing who David is and everything, but David was a great king of Israel, and that's one of the things that I, I really want you to understand, is that David was a king, and he understood what it meant to be a king. You know, people called him King David. Not many people have that title. So I want, I want you guys to understand that and, and preface our teaching with that because what we're going to be looking at tonight is how there really is only one king. And we're going to see why that one king, who is God, why he is worthy to even have that title. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's pray, and we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray that you would just give us energy, Lord, even as we sit here. Lord, that you would allow us to be attentive, Lord, the things that are in our minds, the things of capture the flag and even the, the things that we have planned in the next week, Lord, that we would not be focused on those things, Lord, that Satan would not tempt us with the wandering of our minds, but Lord, that we would be focused, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would do exactly what you did in Acts where you cut the people to the heart. And Lord, no one in here is perfect, no one in here is walking the perfect walk. And so there is something in our hearts, there's something in our lives, Lord, that we do need to surrender to you. Lord, that you do need to speak to us. And I pray that you do that tonight. I pray that we don't think that we are um, unteachable. Lord, allow us to have teachable hearts. Lord, allow us to be humble. Lord, to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a kid, one of... uh, one of the things that I always contemplate, and you guys may relate to this, I don't know, but I always had this reoccurring contemplation of what the heck is life. I, I remember being like eight years old, driving down the highway in San Diego, and like vividly remember these, these moments where I was thinking, what is life? Like, wh- what is beyond this? What is the purpose of life? Like, why are we even humans? And, and all these questions of just trying to find the purpose of who we are and, and mainly trying to find the purpose of, of who I am. Like, what's beyond this? What's, what's the reasoning behind this in life? And I think a lot of us, we try to find what our purpose is. And, and when I'm going to be talking about purpose, I'm not talking about, like, what is my career going to be? What is, you know, my hobbies and, you know, that type of purpose? Like, what? you know, being, being an activist or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is your purpose just as a created being? Like, why were you created? Why, why are you a created being? 
What is the purpose behind that? And I think that it is so vital and important for, for us to understand why we were created, to understand what our purpose is. And that changes everything about the way that we live and approach God. You know, when you think of, how many guys like to build stuff? On if, whatever it is, whether it's Legos or carpentry or something, right? Got some engineers in here. And I, most of us have built something. All of us have built something at some point in our life, right? When you built that thing, it had a purpose, correct? Like there was a reason behind building it. You know, you built a bench. What was its purpose? To sit on it, right? Hopefully, whatever. Unless you had some other weird purpose. But how does something know its purpose outside of its creator? It doesn't. The way that you understand what your purpose is, is, is not because of what you are, but because of who created you. And, and one of the crazy things that, that has always blown my mind, and I share this with our youth often, is that when I create something and when you create something, we create something that, from something that's already been, something that's already there, right? So if I want to create a bench, I just go to Home Depot and I get my supplies, right? Other, other than that, I, I can't do that. Now with God, how did you create things? Did he go to Home Depot to create you? Did, did he go to Lowe's to fashion nature in the mountains? Did he go to Dasani and get the water for the oceans? No. He, he's, yeah. <laughs> he spoke it into existence. God is, God is of two things. He is so creative and he's so powerful that he was able to create everything that we see from nothing. And he's so creative that he created the most creative people in the world. You know, the people that, that we see, like Bob Ross and Van Gogh and, and all these other people who are just artistically great. God created those people. People who are intelligent and smart, who have come up with this and that. God is so powerful and creative that he created those people to create the things that we see. And that blows my mind. And so, again, you find your purpose by your creator. When you create something, you specifically have in mind its purpose and what it would satisfy once it was finished. So the created is provided its purpose by the creator. And look at this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And you're trying to find your purpose and the meaning of life and what it's all about. Well, you need to go to your creator. You have a creator. That's why it's so important to believe and have faith and understand the truth of Genesis 1-1. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can't believe that verse, there's, there's no point in believing the rest of them. You have to believe the entirety of the Bible, and it starts in Genesis 1-1, and understanding that God, Elohim, is your creator. That God, who was from the very beginning, who is not a created being, created you. And he had you in mind for a purpose. And again, everyone searches for that purpose in their life. I believe that there's something that motivates us, even from a young age, to find what is the reason and the meaning of life? There, there has to be something higher and greater than just me. There has to be. 
and, and we search for that. And we find, the, we find false answers in many different places. And we feel like we have found the answer, but we truly haven't if it's apart from our Creator. And I believe that as we search for that answer, this is what leads to our worship. And you got to think of this. Every one of us in this room, we worship one thing or another. We all worship something. It just depends on what that is, right? So there's some of us in, our, in this room, and I, I, I pray that it would be all of us that our, our true worship would be to the one who is worthy of it, to one that has created and purposed us to worship him, that God has designed in us to have a heart to search for him, to find him, and to worship him. But some of us have placed our object of worship and misplace it onto another person. I have always, ever since I was a little kid, I've always found it so weird that we have this weird obsession and fascination with other people, like celebrities and famous people, that we, we in a sense, we worship them, that we put them on a pedestal, and they could care less about us, right? And it's not their fault. They, they don't have the capacity to be worshipped, because they're not created to be worshipped, they're created to worship themselves. Themselves, they are created to worship. Not themselves, but they're created to worship. You understand what I'm saying? And so they can't handle the capacity to be worshipped. They're not God. Only God has the ability and the capacity to be worshipped because he's worthy of it. So we have this weird, like, you know, we all turn into these fangirls, guys, girls, and the like. We turn into these fangirls when this famous person and this artist and this musician and this and that... And, you know, we, we, we have posters of them. And, and in my mind, I'm just thinking, yeah, these people are talented, but they don't, they don't care about you. They don't, they don't even know you. And we, we have this obsession. We know everything about this person, and they don't know you. But yet we have a God that we all could go to, and he knows us. He knows every single thing about us because, remember, he's our creator. So he knows every little detail about us. My son is really fascinated with Legos. He plays with it all the time. And he has like this Rain Man brain when it comes to Legos, and he's got hundreds of them. And he will find a Lego head. And you know how all Legos head looks pretty much the same? You know, like they're all yellow and they all have like pretty much the same face. He can tell me which one goes to which set because he has this, this amazing fascination and he's built and created all these different things from these boxes that he's gotten of Legos that he knows like every, literally every piece of it. And I'm talking of an eight-year-old, right? And God who is beyond an eight-year-old, right? Who he has created and fashioned you and purposed everything about you. The weird stuff, the cool stuff, the beautiful stuff, the ugly stuff. The things that you think that, man, I wish I didn't have, God had a purpose for you. God created you a specific way. And you may not love yourself, like Luca was sharing in his testimony. You may not love yourself, but God loves you because God created you. And he had a specific purpose in mind. So again, we have this weird fascination with worshiping other people and, and in our false worship, which Mr. Michael is going to talk about on tomorrow morning, you know, 
a lot of times our false worship and our unacceptable worship happens because we place our worship on the wrong object. That we, ha- we put it on upon, upon another person or we put it upon ourselves. The God of self is, is huge in our culture. That we worship and we love ourselves. Sometimes we worship tangible objects, whatever that may be. And you know what that is for you. Sometimes it's an idea, it's a belief. And whether your worship is right or wrong, it's dependent, again, upon the object of your worship. And there's only one that is worthy of man's worship. And again, that's God. That is man's creator. That is our king. And if you guys didn't know, the word worship actually comes from an old English word, which means worth-ship. So think about that. When you worship something, whether it's from praise from your lips, the time that you give, where you, you bow your knees in your life, it better be worthy of that. And again, there is nothing that is worthy except God. He is worth it. It's the state of being worthy. Again, God is the only one who can be worshipped because he is the only one that is worthy of it. And your worship of God confesses that he is of more worth than you are. So we're going to look at Psalm 145 tonight really quick. And this is titled, A Praise of David. One of the last things that he says and that he shares with us, he says in verse 1, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. If you look at the back of the shirts, you'll see that we have the definition of extol. It's, it's to praise and to lift up, to lift high, to exalt. And David honored God by praising him and extolling him, lifting him up. And he says this, and he does this in a, in a personal way. He, he directs it directly to God. He says, I will extol you, O God. And he says, my God. He makes it personal that, God, you are my God. And then he gives him the title of king. He says, O king. And he surrenders his heart in this moment in saying that you are my king. And David knows. David knows what it's like to be a king, right? He is a king. And he knows what it's like. And he's saying, look, if there is a king that has that title, it's not me, it's you. How many of you guys have seen Lord of the Rings? The Hobbits? Yeah? So, okay, so a, a vast majority of you have seen those movies. In the past couple of weeks, Whitney and I have been watching, we watched the extended version of Lord of the Rings, which took like, those things are like 15 hours long. And then, and then we watched The Hobbits. Fantastic movies. And as I was watching them, and you, and you guys, if you've seen them, you understand. If you haven't seen them, you will still understand because you will understand the concept and you've seen it in other types of movies and stuff. But throughout Lord of the Rings, you know, they travel from place to place. And every place that they travel to, there's a different type of people or there's a different kingdom. And in that, there's always a different king, right? So you've got a king over here over these people. And then right down the road, you've got a king over here of these people. And as we're watching it, I'm thinking, man, these kings suck. Like, who, who decided that they were kings, right? How did they earn that title? And typically, they earn that because of just, it's passed down from generation to generation. And as we're watching them, and you guys have, have seen these, 
Every single person who is a part of that kingdom has pledged their allegiance to that king regardless of how they are and the way they treat people. Right? Have you seen that? And, and as we're watching this, I'm thinking, okay, here's this king over here who there's one scene, I forget what, what movie it is, but there's one scene where this king is so selfish and he's so wicked and he's so immoral, he cares nothing of his people, he only cares of himself. So he's eating in this big palace, he's got great food in front of him, and then it pans out like to the kingdom and like everyone's poor and suffering and they're about to go to battle. People are dying left and right and he's just up there gnawing on some you know, chicken nuggets and stuff. And, and you're thinking, and it, and, it, and, it, and it like drives in your heart that like, oh, I just, I don't like this guy. Here these people are suffering, and he's, he's so selfish. And, and there's also a scene where this same king, he sends out a group of guys to go take back a part of their land. And it's, it's like a group of like 20 guys versus like 5,000. And the odds were against them. And he knew that when they go out, they would die. And he didn't care anything about their lives. And he went, the, the 20 guys or whatever, however many it was, they, they all went out and they died. And I was thinking, these guys are more manly than I am. <laughs> because you watch them and, you, and, and, and they, they show their allegiance to the king. They know they are literally about to go die in battle. And they say, basically, whatever you want us to do, we will do. Not because we like you, not because we love you, but because you're the king. And we have pledged our allegiance to you. I don't know if you guys, have, you guys understand this. You've seen it in movies. You, you understand the concept. They have pledged their allegiance to the king. And, and again, I'm thinking, how do these... It's all based on a title. They're just the king. That they would lay down their lives for a person who could care less about them because they had a title of king. They were submissive. They were loyal. But not because of who he was or even because of what he did, but just because of the title king. And now David here expresses that God is king. And yes, he has the title, but he's also earned it. And he deserves it. And he's worthy of it. That he, has, it, he is king, not just because of the title, but he is king because of who he is and what he has done. And so as we read all the way through Psalm 145, we see all the things of why God is king because who he is and because of what he has done. He deserves it. And because he is king and because he's our creator and because he has a purpose for us to worship him, we then should pledge our allegiance to him and him alone. And Jesus says very plainly in the New Testament that we need to take up our cross and follow him. That whatever it takes, that we would pledge our allegiance, that we would follow him on the death to self to follow him. In Revelation 19, 16, it says, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the second word kings and the second word lords is not that there are other kings, but there are alleged other kings and there are alleged other lords that we have given the title to, but they they don't deserve it. In Psalm 47, verse 6 through 8, it says, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. 
For God is the king of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Jesus alone is our king. Again, not just because of the title that he holds, but because he's worthy of it. And he's not like us. These kings that we, these, these, these mortal kings that we see, even alone in, in, in scripture and in movies, and even now, in, in, all around the world, there's different kings. They're equal to us. They're the same as us. They too need a king. They too need a savior. We are all sinners. They are not worthy or deserving of that title. And Jesus is king alone. So as David writes here in Psalm 145, we're going to see why God is king as David describes who God is and what he has done. And again, God's not like these other kings. He's not selfish. He's not selfish in the sense of that we, the way that we see it. He's not evil, but rather he is a king that is kind. He's loving. He's gracious. He's good. And one other word that, that David uses throughout the scripture is that he is great. That God is great. So again, he says in verse 1, I will extol you, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. And David, again, here describes God as being great. And he's so great and he's so grand that you and I cannot even understand it. That it's unsearchable, he said. His greatness is unsearchable. He says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. And David pretty much point blank says here that praise doesn't really come from emotion. And that's one of the things that we've, we've kind of learned and discussed throughout Scripture is that we're really not, Christianity's really not based on feelings and emotion. And again, not that it's void of it. It shouldn't be void of it. We're to have feelings and we're to have emotions. But we don't make decisions and our, our, our rock and our foundation is not based on those feelings and, the, and those emotions because a lot of times feelings and emotions, they come and go. A lot of times our feelings and our emotions are not based in truth because our heart is deceitful and it's wicked and who can know it? And so we always have to test our feelings on what is true and what is solid, and that's the word of God. And so he says, point blank right here, he says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Praise comes from deliberate and careful thought, from careful meditation. David meditated not only in the great things that God did, but also paid attention to God's glorious splendor. That he purposely meditated. That we look at scripture and we see why God is worthy of our worship because he reveals to us who he is and what he has done. And then we experience it. We experience who God is. We see the things that God has done. And if you're sitting here tonight thinking, I have never felt God. I have never seen God work. I'll, I'll challenge you with this. The fact that you are even alive, the fact that you are even have the ability to be here shows the mercy and the grace and the power of God. 
And you may be thinking, well, you know, things in my life aren't fair. Things, you don't, you don't know the things that I, I've gone through. But again, God has been good to you. Because it's all about perspective. To th- if you think that you deserve better than what you have, you're greatly mistaken. We don't deserve anything that's good. Because we are wicked and evil and immoral people. And if you don't think that of yourself, then, then you're blind to who you are. It's very clear, not even just by reading scripture about who we are, but you can see very clearly just by even playing the game of dodgeball (laughs) that we are a bunch of liars because we don't like to get out. And that's that's you and I included. I'm, I'm not exempt from that. I was talking to one of our leaders. I was like, it was really hard to tell the truth of when it just grazed my leg, right? Nobody noticed. Nobody saw. Can I do the right thing even if nobody knows? No, there's a battle. There's the internal conflict that's, that's there. If we were good people, we would be obedient. Half of you wouldn't have your phones in your pocket right now, right? But, but we're, not, we're not good people. Sometimes we do good things, yes. Humanity does good things. We donate our time. We donate our money. But again, some of that stuff that we do is even based on our own selfishness. But even then, some of the good things that we do, it comes from God because we were created in his image and his likeness. And it's still not anything of us. But apart from God, we are wicked and sinful people. And so David encourages us and even says just of himself that he meditates on the glorious splendor of his majesty. That he carefully purposes who God is. And he goes on to say in verse 6, Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. There's that word again, greatness. And they shall utter the memory of your great goodness and sing of your righteousness. In these same four qualities that we see here, God's goodness, his righteousness, Actually, sorry, in verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Those, those four things that we see there, that God is gracious, that he is full of compassion, that he's slow to anger, and he's great in mercy. Are the same four qualities, the same four characteristics of God that we see in Exodus chapter 34 when God reveals himself to Moses. When Moses asks to see God's glory, and this is what we read in Exodus 34, verses 5 through 8. It says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud, and he stood with him there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. You guys remember the story and I don't have this in my, my notes, but you guys remember the story in the Old Testament of when they built, I believe it was Dagon, the half God, half fish, or not the half man, half fish God. Is that right, Dagon? You guys read your Bible? <laughs> uh, they made this idol out of wood, and they stood him up, and they worshiped him. And every time that we see people and nations creating some type of idol, it, to me, as I read it, I'm thinking, that is so stupid, <laughs> right? The golden calf, for, for ex- example, right? Uh, they put together all their gold, 
and supposedly, allegedly, just a golden calf popped out. They didn't form it that way. Uh, and they started to worship it, right? We got uh, King, ne- um, who was it, with Daniel. We tried to get him to worship. Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, with the gold, his golden statue. Uh, we have, um, with Dagon, again, this half fish, half man. And the story goes that they worship this god. And one night, and I think the Ark of the Covenant was there, and one night the, the god fell over. The god fell over, and uh, I think his head came off first. can't remember the details. And then the next day they had to prop their god back up. All right, no, he just fell over the first time, so they had to prop their god back up, right? Like, like he needed a hand to get back up. That's how awesome this god was. Um, then the next night he falls over, and I think his head comes off or his arms or something. But the point is, is that the things that we see, the people worshiping throughout Scripture, to me, they're stupid, right? And I'm thinking, what? this is a piece of wood that you just carved. What is it going to do for you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You do more for it than it does for you. It has no feelings, doesn't care about you, doesn't have any power, doesn't have any authority, doesn't have any truth, doesn't have any compassion, doesn't have any mercy. It... it It doesn't have anything that the true God displays, that he has mercy, that he has compassion, that he does care for us, and that he's real, and he's alive, he's living, and that he's good. In verse 9, we see that the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over his works. Even to the people who don't who, who are considered evil, which I would say that we're all evil. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says, He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So again, we see God's goodness towards every single living person. That God is good to the evil and to the good and to the just and the unjust. We all receive the same. He goes on to say in verse 10, All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you, and they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And again, David himself was a king, but he's not talking about his own kingdom. He's talking about God's kingdom. And and God's kingdom is a major theme throughout scripture. Even in the New Testament alone, we see it mentioned over 158 times. The kingdom of God. God has a kingdom. And the question for us is, am I a part of that kingdom? The kingdom of God is where God rules. The kingdom of God is where God reigns. And if God rules in your heart, then you are a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes heaven. It's where God's throne is. And upon Jesus' return, God will set up his kingdom on earth. And again, this is God's kingdom. This isn't David's kingdom. He was a great king. But at the end of his life, the things that he learned, the mistakes that he had gone through, he understood it wasn't about him. And even the process of him becoming king, he knew it wasn't any of his doing, it was God's choosing. 
And so at the end of his life, he knew that his kingdom meant nothing and that it was all about the one kingdom and God's kingdom. And I think all of us, in a sense, struggle or have this type of kingdom within our own selves and around us, that we create our own kingdoms, in a sense, and things that we surround ourselves with, the things that we occupy ourselves with. In Daniel chapter 4, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, he was a king as well, and he was a very prideful king, one of the kings that you would see in Lord of the Rings or whatever. He was all about himself. And there was one day where he was walking around. You ever just like get out of the bed and look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I look good, right? Like you're just that prideful, right? Or you just, you just know you look good. Or you just know how awesome you are, right? This was Nebuchadnezzar. He walks around, he's like, dude, I just like every day and I just like, I'm amazed at my amazingness. Like I'm awestruck about how awesome and great I am. I'm the best. And, he, and this is what, what happens in Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. He says, at the end of the 12 months, De, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was walking about the royal pa- palace of Babylon. And the king spoke, saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? <laughs> Guys, you better humble yourself before God humbles you. Because if he has to humble you, it, it's not going to look pretty. And it will be a great thing, but it's going to hurt, and it's going to knock you on your butt, and it will turn you towards the Lord, and that's a wonderful thing, but it's not a fun journey. And we see this with Nebuchadnezzar. It says, while the word was still in the king's mouth, as he was proclaiming how great he was, a voice, it was a cough, sorry. A voice, you can still bless me, I thank you. A voice fell from heaven and said this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. To think that we have created anything that God can't take away from us is dumb. That God is in control, that he is powerful, that he has given you even the, the, the skill, whether you have a great voice is one of the questions that we have. If you have a great voice, if you can play guitar, if you can do this, if you can do that, whatever skill or talent you have, it's from God. And why do we deprive him of those things that he's given us? We need to use it for his glory, and it should be a part of our worship. And so King Nebuchadnezzar thinks that it's him. It's all about him. And he says in verse 32, And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And so literally, he, he becomes an animal. That for seven years, he becomes an animal. I mean, he's still human, but he, he, he goes through everything an animal would go through to eat like an animal, to live like an animal. That, that he almost loses, in a sense, what it's like to be human, something that's lesser than him, which are animals, so that God could humble him. And, and what we see, guys, is that after those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't come back and be like, I hate this God. Like, why would he have done that? That was the worst seven years of my life. It humbled him so much that he started to praise God. And that's what, what God does for us, because 
the best thing that we can do is to worship him and to praise him. That's the best position that we can ever be in. One of the things that we are taught by Jesus in the New Testament is that when we pray, you guys ever heard the Lord's Prayer? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, that's it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy kingdom, your kingdom come, and your will be done. But most oftentimes, we don't, we don't, we may say that with our lips, but we don't, we don't want that. We don't really believe that in our heart. It's more of my kingdom come, my will be done. Do what I want you to do, God. Do what I think is best. Is the focus of our life the building of our kingdom or God's kingdom? It goes on in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up who are bowed down. And I love that. That's, that's a verse that we need to hear tonight. That he upholds those who fall and he raises up all who are bowed down. How many of you guys have failed at something in life? All of us. How many of you guys have made a, a massive mistake that you wish you just didn't do? All of us. Every single one of us. I wish I had like a button that would rewind, you know, two minutes. And be like, Jeffrey, don't do that. That was stupid. <laughs> and you know what? You will make mistakes. You have made mistakes. David himself, listen, David himself made mistakes. And he made some pretty bad ones. And David yet was still a king. He was yet still a man after God's own heart and had that title. And he took another man's wife, got her pregnant, and got the man killed as he was king over these people. And you guys know the story. Uh, Uriah pledged his, his life to the king. And so whatever the king told him to do, if it meant going to the front of the battle, because that's what was in the letter that, that David held as he gave it to this man. And David got him killed on purpose. He knew that he would die if he went to the front. And David tried to hide his sin. He tried to fix it by more sin. And <laughs> we do that sometimes. And it's stupid. But the great thing is that we have a God who doesn't just shun us and say, you've messed up, Jeffrey. I'm done with you. No. The Lord upholds all who fall. But here's the kicker, guys. He will raise you if you are bowed down. You have to humble yourself. You have to turn to him. <coughs> you cannot be picked up. Can I have some water so they stop laughing? He raises up all who are bowed down. That in our pride, listen, the, the, the reason that God doesn't pick up the prideful is because the prideful don't think they need to be picked up. That they don't think that they need God. So the Lord upholds all who fall, and he raises up all who are bowed down. It says in verse 15, The eyes of all who looked expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And so as we're reading of David's awesome description of God, we see how different and true and living God is compared to the idols that we discussed earlier. These supposed gods were often angry, 
They cared little for either humanity or creation, and God is different. He cares. He, he even cares about the sparrow. He even cares about the sparrow. It goes on in verse 17, The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. David gives us another reason to praise God by recognizing that the Lord is righteous, that everything that he does is right. It's fair. It is just. And it all is coupled with his love and his kindness and his gentleness, his graciousness, his righteous and his graciousness here in verse 17. He says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. God is closer than you think he is. That if you simply call upon him, he is there. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him, and he also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord prever- preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. He says he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. Do we fear God? Do we? Do we truly revere him? Again, we have to understand that, that God is God. That I have no control over my life, in a sense. I have no control over my life. God has the power. He has the authority. He has the ability. He is the one I should fear. And we have misplaced our fear on so many different things that aren't worthy of it. We, we, we fear so many things that aren't worthy of it. In Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says this. I love it. He says, don't fear those who kill the body, right? Which is you and I. We have the ability to kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear who? Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And you're thinking, why would I love this guy if he can destroy both body and soul in hell? It's to understand that God has the power and the capability to do that. Does he have the desire to do that? Of course not. But he has the capability to do it, and he will do it because we just read he is a righteous God. But he is also a gracious God. So he gives us opportunity after opportunity after failure after failure that we, if we bow down, if we humbly approach God, he will pick us up. He will save us. He will redeem us. He will not give us what we rightfully deserve. And we're to fear him. You can fear something and love it at the same time. Did you know that? It's called your mom. (laughs) You can fear something and you can love it at the same time. A, A good, healthy respect that leads to obedience, that leads to reverence. And yet we still love. And God is worthy of that. When I think of fear and love, uh, moms are one, but I'm, I also think of the ocean. Right? How many of you guys like the ocean? Okay, that's a good amount of you. I, I, I was born and raised in the ocean, in a sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm Moana, you didn't know? Listen. I've always loved just, just even simply the smell of the ocean, right? The, the, the salt water, the seaweed, everything about it, even the dumb seagulls, right? I just, there's something about it that I love. But 
But even, even beyond that, the waves, the sound, the creatures, everything, the, the sunset and the sunrises, depending on what coast you're on, it's all beautiful. The vastness and the splendor of, of something so simple as just water, but it's so gorgeous. And I love it. I love to be there. I love to, to partake in it. I love to see it. But yet, I'm also scared of it. <laughs> Right? I mean, I go out 10 feet and something touches my toe and I think it's a great white, right? <laughs> I, you can go out 10 feet and it has the power, the ocean has the power to simply, with, with, with the simple riptide, take out the strongest man on earth. Just by a simple riptide, not even a wave, not even something deep, just a riptide. It's said that I forget what percentage, but it's a high percentage, like almost 80% of the ocean has not even been explored. It's so vast. It's so huge. And so you have to have a healthy fear of something that we love because it can simply kill you. It's deep. It has, you know, crazy animals in it. It has the power of waves, tsunamis, whatever else there has. It's powerful, and yet we can love it at the same time. Yet the example of an ocean or your mom is not always the greatest example because nothing truly ever equates to God. God, God, again, is holy. He is righteous. None of these analogies, your mom's not holy and righteous. The ocean's not holy and righteous. There's only one that is considered holy and righteous, and that is God. And anything else that is considered holy is holy because, because of God. And so we see this healthy fear and respect and love that we can have for God. And we need to, we need to have that. Because if we don't, we will, leave, we will lead a life of disobedience and destruction and chaos. And we will never be truly satisfied. We'll never truly be fulfilled. We will always be searching for our purpose and something else that doesn't truly satisfy. It says in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity in our hearts. That, that from the very beginning, we have had this search and des- this desire to find God and who he is. And he has simply revealed us to him in this. And again, you, you, I, I know some of you are thinking, dude, that's just a book. If God is so great, why would he just reveal us himself in a book? Well, you may not understand how powerful words are. And if you remember, and if you believe Genesis 1.1, you will also believe the rest of Genesis 1 where we see that God speaks things into existence, that his words are powerful and it has authority. That he spoke into existence and he said that's good because God is good. It goes on in verse 21, we'll end here. He says, My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. David meant this as a declaration. So after eloquently expressing about who God is and what he has done for his people, David makes here a decision and a declaration to use his mouth to praise and to bless God again and again. And I want to encourage you, and I'll end with this, in Matthew 15, 8, 9, that you don't be the person that Jesus says right here. He says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. God hates hypocrisy. He hates it. 
And I, I tell our youth all the time, and I know it doesn't sound great, but what's the point of hypocrisy? What's the point of, of coming to church? What's the point of displaying the, the, the hypocrisy? What, why do you do that? Just say you don't like God. Just say, just don't participate. To do one or the other. I don't wish for you to not follow after God. But I think it's time that if any of us are in, in hypocrisy, that we bow down, that we, we humble ourselves, and that we turn to the Lord. That we take this opportunity to actually not just praise God with our lips, which we've been doing, but to truly praise God with our hearts. That God is the king and the ruler of our hearts. And again, I think there's many of us in here who praise and honor him with our lips. We have grown up in church. We know the churchy things to do, the churchy things to say. What I do in this room, would it equate to the things that I do on the roof at work? in the school that you go to, wherever you're at, would you praise God the same way that you would do tonight or have been doing? Because if you wouldn't, then I would really ask yourself, is my heart far from God and I'm just praising him with my lips? And again, the great thing is that God will lift you up. God is gracious. And he says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and all our unrighteousness. And you are a sinner and you have messed up. Adults, kids, whoever it is, we have done it. And now's the time to make it right, to turn to him. So what we're going to do, Kaylin's going to come up. We're going to partake in, in some worship just for a little while. And I would encourage you that as, as David did, is that he carefully thought and purposed who God was in his word, that he wasn't driven by emotion and feelings, and that's the, 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 the last thing that I want for us tonight is to be led by our feelings and our emotions. Now, if, if that's what God has given you and he's stirred up in your heart by hearing the truth, that's great. But not the emotions that are led by sensations of feelings and touch and, 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 and seeing. Because that will produce a false salvation. If the truth has cut you to the heart, if the truth has revealed to you who God is and who you are, and that you are a sinner, and that you're in need of a Savior, by all means, praise Him, worship Him, turn to Him, but do it because you know it's the truth, not because you're led by your feelings. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is gracious to us when we fall. Lord, let us praise you with our lips and our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone in here tonight who just utterly can't stand being here, Lord, I pray that you would show them love and kindness. We know it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Or if there's anyone here that's struggling with doubt, they want to believe, Lord, I pray that you tell us you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I pray that you would give them, Lord, faith to trust and to believe. Lord, for those of us who have been in sin, we've messed up, we haven't made it right, we haven't confessed to you, you know we've sinned, but we haven't confessed, and it's still hindering us. 
It has separated us from you. Lord, allow us to confess that to you tonight. Lord, to seek your forgiveness. Lord, to make things right, to, to be liberated and freed from the bondage of the sin. Lord, you, you did not create us to be in sin, but because you gave us free will, we decided to. Because you are a loving and gracious God, you sent your only son to free us from our sin. Lord, give us that faith tonight. Lord, if there's those of us in here who love you, we have been praising you with our lips and our hearts. Lord, I pray this would be an extra measure of encouragement that we could praise you continuously, day in and day out. Lord, that we would be the example from generation to generation, as David said. Lord, if we have wrong someone in here tonight, allow us to, to seek forgiveness from that person. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you do that tonight. Lord, I pray that you give us joy and excitement. This isn't a sombering moment. It is a real moment. But in you is joy and peace. And Lord, I pray that be expressed tonight as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Kaylin keeps strumming, Scott's going to bring up communion. If you are born again, this is for only those of you who are born again, who profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are not, you have the opportunity. Romans 10.9 simply says that if you confess and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. It's not some mountaintop experience. It's not repeating a prayer. It is simple faith and obedience in Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. If you pray it out loud, if you sing it, if you believe in your heart, let it be. And you'll be saved. And in a minute, as he's going to sing the song, I want you guys just to come up whenever you guys want. I think we're doing four songs. We're going to have four quick songs. We're not going to make this a long night. It doesn't need to be long. Don't wait. Don't wait for tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Don't even wait for the next hour. You don't know what the next hour holds. Come up here. Grab the communion elements. Go back to your seat. Go before the Lord on your own. Talk to him. Because one day, listen, one day you will stand before God face to face by yourself. Not with your buddy next to you. Not with your mommy. Not with your future spouse. But with God alone. And so you need to approach him alone. If you need prayer, by all means, seek one of your leaders out. Seek any leader out. They will pray with you tonight. If you need advice, if you have questions, if you have some crazy decision you have to make with your life going forward, seek prayer. If there's sin in your life, again, this is the time to confess and repent. There's no better time than the present moment to make things right with the Lord. So let's worship. Mm -hmm.